Thanks for joining Cornerstone for our message of the week. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged. To connect with our church family and to watch our services live, download our app today by texting Sparks Will Fly as one word, app to 77977. That's Sparks Will Fly app to 77977 or by visiting us online at sparkswillfly.cc. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11. How many is ready to get in the Word? Oh, we got about seven on that. I said, how many people is ready to get in the Word? All right. Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, as you're turning there, uh, let me see a show of hands in here of uh, how many people that didn't give an offering. Raise your hand. No, I'm playing. Uh, <laughs> how many people in here uh, do not have the Cornerstone app on your phone? How many do not have the Cornerstone app that wants the Cornerstone app on your phone? You, you, have, raise your hand. Hold it up. John Brown, show them that right there. If you'll text that uh, number, if you'll text Sparks Will Fly, um, text Sparks Will Fly app to that number right there, you will get the information on your phone of how to, how to get the app. The reason why I'm saying that is because we use that to communicate uh, everything that we do, whether it's uh, we send out a message, uh, there's the videos, everything that we have goes through that app. So if you're interested in getting that, if you'll text that information right there, because we got some say I didn't, I didn't know about uh, something, and I know that everybody doesn't have social media. I don't have an ounce of social media, so uh, but but that gets everything to your that gets everything to your phone. So we want you to be know what's happening, know what's going on, uh, and then you will be able to look at look at the app and uh, and be able to get all the information that we do. So let's go to Hebrews, the eleventh chapter. I just want to share some things out of my heart this morning and um, and try to just go with. Um, if if I was to title this, I could title this, um, you know, what are you living for? Or, or basically, I would just want to talk about how God intervenes in our lives and give us a greater vision for what we have for our own life. How many knows that God's vision for you is greater than what you could dream up? You with me? According to Ephesians 3.20, God will do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask. That means on your greatest prayers, God says, I'll do above that. Abundantly above all that we ask, all that we could think or imagine. That means the best you could dream up your life. You sat down on your best day daydream and dreaming up your life. God says, I'll do abundantly above all that. Now, how many is ready to walk in something like that? All right. All it takes is availability. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Um, let's start in verse 8. I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. Faith motivated Abraham to obey God's call and leave the familiar to, the dis- to discover the territory he was destined to inherit from God. So he left with only a promise and without even knowing ahead of time where he was going. Abraham stepped out in faith. He lived by faith as an immigrant in his promised land, as though it belonged to someone else, he journeyed through the land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob who were persuaded that they were also co-heirs of the same promise. 
His eyes of faith were set on the city with unshakable foundations, whose architect and builder is God himself. Sarah's faith embraced God's miracle, power to conceive, even though she was barren, was past the age of childbearing, for the author of her faith rested in the one who made the promise, and she tapped into his faithfulness. In fact, so many children were subsequently fathered by this, by this aged man of faith who was as good as dead that he now has offspring as innumerable as the sand upon the seashores and the stars in the sky. These heroes, look at this, these heroes all died in clinging to their faith, not even receiving all that had been promised them. But they saw beyond the horizon the fulfillment of their promises and gladly embraced it from afar. They all lived their lives on earth as those who belonged to another realm. For clearly those who live this way are longing for the appearing of a heavenly city. And if their hearts and and if, if their hearts were still remembering what they left behind, they would have found an opportunity to go back. But they couldn't turn back. For their hearts were fixed on what was far greater, that is the heavenly realm. So because of this, God is not ashamed in any way to be called their God, for he has prepared a heavenly city for them. I really just want to talk from the theme this morning of living beyond yourself, living for God's dream for your life, and seeing how God intervenes in that. Now, let's just pray. Father, we thank you today for the reading of your word. We thank you that the word of God is powerful. Lord, I pray this morning that you would anoint our ears to hear. You would anoint our ears to hear in Jesus' mighty name. And help me, Lord. Your word needs no help. I'm the one that needs to help. So I really want to start this out. Um, You know, the things that Hannah was talking about, the things that she's believing for, all of us are believing for something different in this room. Some of us may be believing for the same things, but but everybody's believing for God to do something. How many is believing for God to do something big in your life? And so we're all believing uh, for for different things. For me, uh, I'm believing for God to transform the place in which I live. And so how many knows if you look at our community, there's a lot of transformation that needs to take place. I'm not believing for revival. I'm looking for a total transformation. How many knows that God's not repairing your old man? He's destroyed that man. He's building something brand new in your life. Come on, y'all. God's not trying to help the old you be better. He's, he's killed that part of you. Come on now. Ephesians says we were dead in the trespasses of sin. God's destroyed that. Our old man died of supernatural causes. Now God is trying to, he's working on the new man. That's why when the father talks to us, he always speaks good things over us because the good man, had, the, old, the new man has nothing but good things. He, he's created in the image and likeness of God. You with me now? So in this uh, text that we read is, first of all, let's go back to verse 8. Faith motivated Abraham to obey God's call and leave the familiar to discover the territory he was destined to inherit for God. We will never find out the thing that God has for us till we are willing to get in the boat and push push off the shore into the unknown. Now, I want to take you back. I want to go back to uh, 2013 where I was at in my life. And then uh, before I do that, all of this spawned from a thoughts that I listened to a message and I heard, I was sharing this with Stanton one day in the office. And in this um, 
uh, in this message, there was this gentleman. There was a very wealthy gentleman. Uh, he owned his own business. He owned his own firm. And he was, um, he was a kingdom guy. He, he loved the Lord. And, uh, but he was just in the routines of life. How many knows it's easy to get there? And so one morning he got up and he got out and walked out to his car, walked across the pavers of his large driveway and clicked a button on his Porsche to get in his car. And he backed it up, turned his music on, and he was headed to the office. And as he goes down the driveway, his big wrought iron gates open, and, he, and he's, headed, he's headed to his office. And as he's headed to his office, that um, he, uh, he, he, he's on the, on, the, on the road that he travels every day. He's headed to a store that he goes to every morning to buy a paper, that, and he gets a cup of coffee. And he takes that paper and coffee with him to the office. As he's going down the road, he sees the signs that say, Detour detour and as he begins to detour off of this road he sees another sign that says detour and this detour signs took him to some of the roughest places in his city and he finally stopped at this store and he goes inside this store and as he's trying to buy the paper and as he's trying to buy the cup of coffee at this store he begins to hear cries he begins to hear weeping he begins to hear wailing and he looked at the store owner and he said where is where where's the who's crying you know what i'm saying he said i keep hearing these cries who who's crying and the store owner looks at him and he says my god man this dude's on drugs or something you know what i'm saying there's nobody crying i don't hear anything that's just us in the store you know what i'm saying nobody's crying and so he gets in his car and he goes to work and he begins to share with one of the guys at work he said man did you see all the detour signs this morning and the guy said i never saw a detour sign come on y'all with me y'all with me it's gonna be a good flight if we all get in here together so he go he gets up the next morning and he, he's, he's pondering all day of why was it, why did I see the detour signs, but the other people didn't see the detour signs. I believe that God is, is, I believe that the Christian life is not going to church. Come on, somebody. Hearing somebody preach, paying your tithes and going home and living life. I believe the Christian life is to be full of adventure. Hello. If not, you're in religion and not in the kingdom. But the kingdom is exciting every day. You get to cast out devils. You get to heal the sick. Hello? Come on, somebody. You get to bring hope. You get to bring encouragement. You get to prophesy over people's lives. This is the kingdom. Religion is just going to church, pay your tithes, learn how to be a better person. But it brings no difference into the community. Come on, somebody. Jesus never preached religion, and he didn't preach salvation. He preached the kingdom of God. So... So he, he, he gets up the next morning and he, he gets in his vehicle and he, he, uh, he, he clicks the, the doors open on his Porsche and he's on the way to work. And as he goes, he's going, he's going to his normal store to get his normal cup of coffee and his normal paper. When he starts heading down the road, detour signs. The detour signs appear, must detour, detour, detour. And he winds up at the same location that he was the day before. And as he gets out the car, this time not in the store, but outside the car, he hears wailing. He hears the cries of women, the cries of children. And he hears all these cries and he goes into the store. And there's two or three guys in the store and he asks the store owner, who is crying? And the store owner looks and says, man, this, this dude is on drugs. He was in here yesterday. And he said he heard someone crying, but I, there's no one crying. And so he gets in the car. And he leaves. This time he goes back and he said, who saw the detour signs? 
And nobody saw the detour signs. And this time he goes in and he prays. And he begins to seek God. And God begins to highlight an area in his community, which is the worst poverty-stricken areas of his community. And God invites this man. Listen to this. He buys four locations in that town. He brings contractors in to begin to rebuild these locations. And he begins to take this part of this community to start baking, breaking the back of systemic poverty. And he moves people into these places and begin to teach them finances and different things. And he, and he moves so much into this community that the government gets behind what he's doing. How many knows that the government is not our answer this morning? How many knows it's the church of Jesus Christ? Are you with me? So this morning, I want to talk about that thing, about can you hear the cries? I don't know about you, but I can hear some cries in this community. How many can hear the cry of your neighbor? Are you with me? All right. Now, I'm going to take you to my life. And my life is 2013. This is October of 2013. Let me set it up for you. And we're going to get into what, I'm going to get into some Bible stories and I'm going to close with something. If you don't get nothing, the last clip that I'm going to show you is very powerful. So in 2013, we had been pastoring for almost eight years. And so we had just transitioned out of that church and we was excited about our new adventure. But let me just tell you this, life was grand. Life was not hard. Life was grand. We were making plenty of money. I own my own business. We're living on a family farm. Our kids were excited. Everything was good. How many knows that God is in the business of intervening? How many knows that not only are, <laughs> according to the text we read, there's a generation that went before us that is, that is looking into our generation wondering if we're going to get accomplished what we need to get accomplished. That we're not working on our own here. How many knows that there's a generation that preceded us? You with me? So in this, um, in this, Catherine and I, we are, we are, we're excited. I feel like I know what I have for my life. I, I, I know that God had put a lot of things in me. I know that there were a lot of prophetic words given to me. And we were excited to see, to see those things come to pass. But how many knows this? One thing that I've learned over the years is that when God gives you a prophetic word, how many are you thankful that the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus? That's where it rises at. The promise don't necessarily just lie in you. It lies in Christ. Are you with me? Because it's not based on your performance. And I thought if we left the church that I pastored, that all of those promises were connected to the church. They were never just connected to the church. They were in Christ Jesus. Are you with me? All right. So, so I'm going to show you my truck right here. This is my truck. All right. I'm just trying to. Just trying to help you illustrate this right here by how God does this. And let me just say this. I was not, this, this was the day that I was scheduled to preach at a church over in Sparks, Georgia. I don't know if y'all know where that's at. I was coming on a Wednesday night from Jessup, uh, and, and I was coming to preach at Cornerstone. I was coming to knock a Wednesday night service out, come to get my honorarium and go back home to my happy life. You with me? All right. Let me get my truck. So I got to get ready to preach. You know what I'm saying? So I got a two-hour ride, so I got to get ready to preach. So I'm going to cut some music on that I get ready to preach with. Hook me up, John Brown. Oh, yeah, boy, I'm ready to flow now. Prophesying. <laughs> this was a song that I liked because it just reminded me of my wife. I was about two weeks out. Catherine and I were going to the island for a few days, and I was extremely excited. Piece, black and red bands, your oh, yeah. Feet covered in sand. I can't black listen to it long because we'll have to leave. Across the blue sky. 
19 years, she still rocks me, man. This is my thought process. Give me that smile and I'm somewhere, somewhere sunny at 75. This is it. This is it. Hold up. Stop it. So I'm thinking about Catherine. I ain't worried about preaching. I'm just thinking about Catherine. <laughs> Lord, you're going to have to help me get this right now. So then all of a sudden, I feel the presence of God invade my truck. And I'm outside of Way Cross. And you, those of you that know the journey from Wayne County to here, there's a few ways you can take that journey. Cogdale Highway is like the land of Nod. There's nothing ever. I mean, it's, it's undeveloped. I mean, there's nothing but deer and all of that out there. And so I'm on, I didn't go Cogdale Highway that day for some reason. I decided when I got to Waycross, I was going to go Corridor Z where I could just let her ride. You know what I'm saying? I was kind of close for time. And um, I'd been to preach at this church a few times. I knew I'd already been here, so I knew. You know what I'm saying? And I'm coming. It's a Wednesday night service. It's not like a Sunday morning. You know, people more relaxed and laid back on Wednesday night. I'm just coming to knock it out. And I'm Joe Nichols is singing somewhere, Sunday in 75. My thoughts are on my wife. And the presence of God begins to invade my truck. As the presence of God begins to invade my truck, he becomes, I mean, really in the truck. Now I am weeping. I am weeping, and I go into this vision of I see Catherine's dad, and I see Grant, and I see him weeping, and he's got his hands on Grant. And I remember looking at him in the vision, and I said, we must obey the call of God on our life. And I said, we will be moving. Now I'm on the side of the road, and those of you Jesus freaks know like when you had the red light, you know what I'm saying, you lost in tongues and people just looking over there like, that. yeah, he's high, you know what I'm saying? And so I'm on the side of the road, and I'm wailing. I mean, just, I'm tore up. So finally, after about 15, 20 minutes, I, I, um, I, start, I start heading on this way. And so I remember making it to uh, Nashville, and I pull over in the Pizza Hut parking lot in Nashville. And I called Catherine, and I said, I believe life for us as we know it is about to change. And her whole deal was, is, is she was like, she wanted at this time me to be more adventurous. I mean, like getting on a roller coaster or something, what I thought. Man, my whole, I don't ride roller coasters. When I was a little boy, we went to Six Flags. The first one I ever got on was a screen machine. When I made it back to, it stopped. Thank God. God gave me the wisdom not to get on another one. Amen? Because <laughs> I thought I was going to be ejected out of the seat. That thing's built out of wood, two old tuba fours and stuff, man. You know what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> but anyhow. So she was like, Catherine knows when we, when we take road trips, I don't like to get lost, like to stay on the track. I like to go from A, B, like that. You know what I'm saying? She is more of a scenic route. She wants to stop everywhere, get out of all these uh, antique stores. You know what I'm saying? When you go in there and they got stuff built out of tin, trying to overcharge you for it, all that. That's her kind of deal. I like to go straight to where we're going. So anyhow, um, so I, I call her and I said that I just believe our life is about to change. And I'm just, I'm just weeping. And, uh, and I don't understand why I'm so tore up, but I just tell her that. 
And I said, I even believe that we're going to move. And I remember what she said on the phone. She said, you're crazy. You know what I'm saying? But she knew I was tore up by the Lord. And so I just said, okay. I said, all I'm just telling you is what I see and what I feel. This is, it. This is in early October. So then it goes on back. At this time, Asher is um, Asher's two years old. And so he stays with my sister while I go out and I go work. So crank, crank the music. So I get in the truck and Asher's in his car seat. He's strapped in the back. So started back over. I just like the intro. <laughs> there ain't nobody else going to be playing country music on Sunday morning in their church. You with me? And I can hear them now. The haters going to be sending email left and right tomorrow. Told you they wasn't real. Look at that. Look at what he listened to. Sasher's in the back. I can take you to the spot in the road on Highway 84. When I come down out of Wayne County, right into Pierce County, right at the Satilla River, the Lord come back in my truck. And he come back in my truck. Just like, just like when, when I was in Waycross on the side of Cordor Z. Almost a Millwood. And Asher had his hands lifted up in his car seat. He's two years old. He had both hands stretched up. And I heard the Lord speak this, speak this deal right here to me. Bring it down. You roll that instrumental now. I heard the Lord speak this. He said, well, you go on a journey with. Listen, that's all God wants from all of us in this room. Is will we trust him enough to go on a journey with him. Now, I've, I've let Bats listen to that song, and everything God does for me, I always play that song because I believe God promised me that day if I would go on a journey with him, it would always be sunny for me by 75. It will always, no matter what storm we face, God said it will always be sunny for you by 75. And here's the deal. I had to have enough faith in God to load my family on a U-Haul and come to a land that I did not know where I had no family and shove that thing off the shore and say, God, I'm looking for a place that you are the builder and architect to go to a land like Abraham said is where I'm going to find my inheritance. Now, all throughout Scripture, pull the sound down just a little bit, all throughout Scripture, God has asked men and women to accomplish the impossible. Are you with me? I'm telling you this morning that I got great faith and I wake up every morning believing that the community in which I live in will be totally transformed by God. I do not believe that it will take 25 years. I believe the things that I pin down that I will see accomplished in 10 years. God is putting legs to it every single day. Are you with me? From the things that Miss Vanessa's doing, how it's taken her a year to try to come up, and in one day, God gives her 15,000. Why did God do 15,000 that day? She only needed 12,000. But when she got into it, what she forgot is not, none of these kids have ever even been out of town. They didn't have any luggage. So God knew when we was given, come on, that every child would have to have luggage to get on that bus with to go to D.C. Come on, somebody. And little by little, I'm watching God change it. Wednesday night while Larry and Kayla were in here teaching for me, me and Terry was over there in that room. If it, by the way, Terry's been with the, with the small kids. What, what age is in there? 
7 to 11. They was two six-year-olds trying to hijack his wedding. Boy, but anyhow, listen, 7 to 11. But what I watched in that 7 to 11, yeah, well, did we have some behavioral issues? Yeah, but I stood up like Major Payne in that room. How many's ever seen Major Payne? Come on, somebody. Telling the bedtime story, shooting monsters in the closet with the, that, you know what I'm saying? Stood up like, but what I watched was God come in that room. And I told these kids, I said, listen here, there's a child in my wife's classroom that if he don't get a miracle, we're going to bury him. But I don't believe it's God's will for us to bury that child. And we stood up Timmy's son, Tyler. And Tyler said, God healed me of cancer. I had leukemia when I was five years old. But he's running around this church with no leukemia in his body. Don't tell me that God is not a miracle worker. Come on, y'all. I took that testimony in front of that kids, in front of those children, and Timmy stood up and I said, you stand in for Trip Lassender. We, we believe right now that cancer is an affront to the kingdom. Come on, somebody. I taught those children when Jesus fought the devil, he used the word of God. And I said, the word of God is powerful, children. If you want to see something change in your house, get the word of God in your house and speak it over your family. And if Terry was here, they're not here this morning. They got several at the Braves game. Let's pray they get a victory today. But listen, what I watched was the power of God come in that children's church room. And Terry, I tell you, for 20 to 30 minutes, we didn't have no behavioral issues. Why? Because God came in the room. And we were arming those little kids. And I said, the devil, I said, Jesus didn't fight the devil with his bare hands. He used what was written. And I said, how many of you in here battle fear? They raised their hand. I said, let me tell you something. Here's a weapon right here, 2 Timothy 1 and 7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear. I said, if God didn't give it to us, who's trying to give it to us? The devil. I said, what God did give to us was a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. So I'm looking. And so then... See, when Jesus said, when the Spirit of God came in that truck on Joe Nichols, first of all, he wasn't worried about it was country. Hello. He don't care if it's Bon Jovi. My God, I love some Bon Jovi too. Hear me? Johnny used to work on the docks. We'll get it right right here in a minute. Listen. He said, will you go on the journey? See, he didn't. He never showed me the lions and the bears. He just asked me if I'll go on the journey. But see, when I said yes, that was all the ammo he needed. That's all, he, that's all he's looking for. He, he didn't ask me to go look at the checkbook. He didn't go ask me to look at how much theology I had in the back. Come on, somebody. How many degrees I had. He just said, this is what I got for you, John. Will you trust me to go on the journey? The yes is all we need. When God showed up to Noah and said, I need you to build a boat. This is no small craft that he was working on. This is a 450 footer. This is a boat. Most would say a yacht. <laughs> this is a cruise liner. And God tells him, I want you to build a boat. Because listen here, I'm going to send rain he had never seen rain. He's never seen rain. And God gives him a project that will take 50 to 80 years of his life that will save eight people. 
You know that most people in his neighborhood thought, what in the world is wrong with this man? What's wrong with this guy? But all God was looking for is to say yes. Look at this. Look at verse, I'm I'm back in the passion right here. And I want to start in verse 23. By faith, I'm in Hebrews 11, verse 23. By faith, faith prompted the parents of Moses at his birth to hide him for three months because they realized their child was exceptional and they refused to be afraid of the king's creed. Faith enabled Moses to choose God's will. For although he was raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he refused to make this his identity. Choosing instead to suffer mistreatment with the people of God, Moses preferred faith certainty uh, above the momentary enjoyment of sin's pleasures. He found his true wealth in suffering abuse for for being more than anything the world could offer him. For his eyes looked with wonder, not on the immediate, but on the ultimate fate's great reward. Holding holding fate's promise, Moses abandoned Egypt and had no fear of Pharaoh's rage because he was persistent. He persisted in faith as if he needed, as if he had seen God who was unseen. Faith stirred Moses to perform the rite of Passover and sprinkle lamb's blood to prevent the destroyer from harming the firstborn. Faith opened the way for the, for the Hebrews to cross the Red Sea as if on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to cross it, they were swallowed up and drowned. Man, is God talking to us this morning by faith? Come on, somebody. God woke up Miss Karen and said, before you leave the house, get a jar of mustard seed and take it with you to Cornerstone. Give the people a token in the hand this morning that I'm going to do the very thing this big bald-headed man's going to preach this morning, and I'm going to do it by faith. By faith we got here. Come on, somebody. By faith, we're going to accomplish these things. By faith, business is going to come in here like never before. By faith, we're going to see some things broken off of our school. By faith, we're going to win state championships. By faith, we're going to see a church do the absolute impossible. What? By faith. By faith, we're going to finance buildings that have never been built here. By faith. Gosh, I wish I had four people that believe this. I wish I had four people that believe this. I wish I, listen, when God comes up and asks us to go on the journey, He always shows up at the, at the, not at an opportune time. When He showed up to get Gideon to take out the Midianites, Gideon was hiding in a wine press. He's hiding from the Midianites. And God shows up to him and He says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor, ain't you glad God always calls you by your real identity when He shows up in your broken mess, when He shows up while you're addicted, when He shows up while you're drunk and He calls you something great? It's because He's releasing faith into your inner man to become what He said you are. Oh my God. By faith, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. He said, I'm, I'm going to use you, Gideon. You're going to do the impossible. I'm going to use you to judge the enemy. That's what the book of Judges is all about. If some of you wondering what God's judgment looked like, read the book of Judges. God's judgment is not him, him putting you through cancer or sickness. God's judgment is to make you who you are so that you can bring and wreak havoc on the kingdom of darkness, friend. My God, that's good. Gideon is called to take out the Midianites. 
He said, you mighty man of valor. My God, Gideon, you, you're unbelievable. And he said, how are you going to do this? He said, because I'm going to be with you. He said, if the Lord is with us, why have we suffered all of this? Why have we been suffering if God's with us? He said, Midian, you're going to rise up. I want you to take a picture in your hand. Man, you don't beat nobody with no picture. Come on, somebody. I want you to rise up and put a picture. You're going to have a torch inside of a picture. Folks, this is the New Testament. When he went to fight the Gideonites, not only did God raise him up, but listen, God, God's people believed in Gideon that he was the man that God said he was. Because when they went out to battle, they didn't just say the sword of the Lord. They said the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon's coming. Come on, somebody. He breaks the picture. The outside falls away and what's inside becomes light. Come on, y'all. This is a picture of the New Testament believer. This is the power of righteousness in your life. The old breaks away and what's in us begins to shine. I was listening the other day and I've said this statement before, but I've, I've recanted of it and said, I don't believe in that no more because I heard a better correct version. How many knows that we've heard this saying, you've heard me say this, that the world is going to get, why are we struggling with that? It's three hours long. Uh, huh? It keeps cutting off. All right. Maybe the Lord don't want to play. All right, listen. So here's the thing that with, um, help me, Holy Ghost, I lost my train of thought. Where was I at? Does anybody listen? Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, I got it. Got it right here. Yes, sir. I got it right here. Yes, ma'am. I got it. That the, that the world is going to keep getting darker and darker, but the church is going to get brighter and brighter. If that is correct, that is because the church has misused the light. Now, listen here. This is what we do. We love illuminating the church, but we've not found how to illuminate the community. Jesus said, I heard a prophet say this, that the church has now become the lampshade in the community. God don't want a lampshade. He wants a beaming light outside this community. He wants inside of you. You understand what I'm saying? He wants inside of you where you're at. You have the job you're at. You have the friends you're at for a reason. God wants to use you to bring impact to those areas. David was chosen to take down a giant, a young boy, but yet he was proven in the secret place. God wants those that have proved themselves in the secret place to do great exploits. Nehemiah receives a burden from God. Nehemiah's name means comforter. In the book of Nehemiah, it is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. You have the book of Ezra. Ezra's where they redo the temple. That is a picture of salvation. Come on, somebody. When you get saved, you are a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. Y'all with me? The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have come new, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You're a brand new species. Never been, you're brand new. Never been, never been known before. The brand new man is created. But here's the deal. How many knows if you rebuild the temple, but you don't do nothing with the walls, the enemy has right access to you. So Nehemiah said, we got to begin to raise up the walls. So if we got people that just say, well, you know, the devil's just after me left and right. How many knows this? If, you got, if, if a car runs into the front of this building, we will never know it. If a car hits the front of this building at 50 miles an hour, we're probably never going to know it. Because of the steel and the concrete that's at the front of this building. So if the enemy has, if the enemy easily knocks us down, that tells us we got poor walls. 
Begin to restore the breaches. Begin to restore the walls up around our life. Here's a good way to start restoring the walls. Walk in, unfor- walk in forgiveness. Begin to forgive those that have done this wrong. Come on, somebody. And we begin to cut the access off that the enemy has, has into our lives. And so it's a picture of rebuilding the walls. Nehemiah's never seen Jerusalem. He's born into captivity. But notice this. When he hears the report that the walls are broken down in that community, he begins to weep. God begins to put a burden inside of him. God begins to put things on his heart. He begins to see things different. Now, let me just say this. Before I had the encounter with the Lord on, on, on coming over here to Cornerstone, I, I just had in my mind because I knew my job. My job was just to come in here and preach a service, okay, and go home. It didn't mean that I didn't love the people. It didn't mean that I didn't love God. But I was not pastor here. I was, <clears throat> I was not a candidate to come here. But this night when I came in, I remember looking back in that corner and seeing that jib. Remember where the camera used to pan over the congregation? I remember seeing that and it was just bent down like that. And I remember turning around I remember coming through this city and I started crying over things in this city. What was God doing? God was downloading something into my heart that night. I'm about to put a burden in you for this people, son. This is what's happening in Nehemiah's life. He hears the report and God begins to put a burden in him. If you want to learn how to pray for your school, ask God, God, give me a love for these people. God, give me a love for the ones that are cussing, talking nasty, vaping in the bathrooms. God, put something in my heart for these children. Then your prayer life will begin to change. My God, have you ever heard a man pray with a burden? A man praying with a burden is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane to his sweat becomes a drops of blood. That is a man with a burden. A man with a burden does not pray. I lay me down to sleep. I pray my soul to keep if I should die before I wake. Come on, that is not the prayer life of a man that is burdened. A man that is burdened prays fervently. God, would you intervene on this behalf? God, would you give the mayor wisdom and knowledge on how to lead us into the things that you're speaking over us? God, I pray for our I pray for our leadership in our school. God, give them wisdom. They're not they're making decisions that will affect the generation they'll never see. I pray that you intervene on their behalf. God, give the Christian courage to stand up in here, God. God, give the believers courage and faith to take their place. That is a man with a burden. Church, I'm trying to preach. This is what is happening in Nehemiah's life. He goes from a man that is concerned to a man that is burdened. His job is the cupbearer of the king. If he goes in front of the king with any sad countenance, he he won't lose his job. He'll be killed because you don't want to be, be the man to bring the king down. So he goes in before the king and the king looks at his face. Says, what's wrong with you, Nehemiah? This is nothing but of sad countenance. What's going on in you? What's going on in you? And he said, my people, my people, my people where you put me, my people's lives are hurting. What happened to the rich man? that walked across his pavers and got in his $100,000 Porsche and rolled down his $200,000 driveway and out his $100,000 gate. He heard a cry. He began to see his city in a different light than he's ever seen it before. 
what happened is God took him off his normal routine to show him everything in his community is not blissful. See, if you want a city, everybody says, well, I want, I want a community. The, the, this community is not just circle stone. Come on, y'all. This city is not just white middle class. This city is not just black middle class. This city is the hood. This city is crack alley. This city is gang alley. And you cannot have a burden for part of the city. This is, I will tell you this, for some time I lived here and preached here with a burden for part of the city. But I can tell you with full assurance this morning, I got a burden for the whole thing. And listen, what we need is the church to have a burden for the whole thing. And if what we're preaching is real up in this house and we believe it's real, then the power that's on our life is greater than any darkness outside the walls of this church. So Nehemiah gets something. Notice this. That God don't speak unless he's got the power to bring some change. God did not visit me in the wee hours of the morning when I penned that letter sitting down at that cabin. He didn't speak that over to me to dangle some trinket. And he didn't speak that to me to come put it on paper and bring it before this group of people sitting in this room that's some fairy tale. You understand that when we read it, it was a public declaration. Come on, y'all. When we read it, it was a public declaration. The same night I penned that letter, Andy Smith has a dream at his house. And, and he's, he's laying in his bed dreaming while I'm writing. Come on, y'all. This is his dream. He dreams of seeing a house being built near where they live. And he said this house looked like nothing he had ever seen. And he asked, who's building the house? The lady said, my son-in-law. And so she said, you'll meet him soon, soon enough. So later the house is built, finished. Unbelievable. Looked like something off of MTV Cribs or something. And he's looking at this house. And he looks, and there is Dwayne Wade, the NBA star, with his wife. They're the ones built the house in Cook County. And Andy asked him, he said, why would you build a house like that here? He looks back and says, why not? What is God saying in that dream? The, the answer is the very last statement, why not? Why not believe for it? Why not? He has that dream, I come in this church with an encounter I have with the Lord in the wee hours of the morning in the cabin and I pen this letter out. What, what, I heard God say, what do you want to see happen in 10 years? And so I begin to write at my desk and begin to pen what I want to see happen in 10 years. Folks, he's not dangling stuff over us. He, he's declaring something and he's saying, I need your faith level to rise up to believe it. Because here's the thing, this is not going to happen by you sitting on a pew watching Pastor John go get this vision. This is going to happen when you realize you're a part of a body. Come on, somebody. You don't go to church, that you are the church. You are a ligament. You are a joint. There's power and life flowing into you, and there's power and life flowing out of you, and you begin to take your place.
I'm not a children's church pastor. Probably. I would not take a gifts test and they'd be like, he's a children's church pastor. I mean, I've been there like a sergeant. I'd have told two of them, you ain't getting back on the van. I'll be on the van next Wednesday and you ain't getting on there. Then I go home and I said, Lord, I, you, I'm probably going to have to have more grace than this. <laughs> I mean, I'd have threatened to beat them down, you know. It's the way I was raised. You got told about, Daddy didn't tell us about four times. Now I say like five times. Daddy said about one time. Second time was time out. That was how long you was knocked unconscious. Not laying in the corner. Come on. Y'all ain't never, come on. I ain't the only one in here. It didn't kill me. I remember my mom coming through the door. She's going to watch this later on. My mom coming through the door. Said, John, he's had enough. That was my daddy's name. He told my mom he's going to give her some of it if she didn't get out of there. But it didn't hurt me. You with me? It just taught me authority. And so I'm teaching these lessons over there. So I'm thinking about this and I come, I pull up. I'm on the way to church Thursday. And the Lord dropped three things in my heart. Just boom, 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 right after another. About the children's church. Do this, this, and this. This is, this is going to help you. So I, I, I told your dad. I said, I think if we do this, this, and this, this is going to help us. Because, I mean, you got kids. You got little kids. And you out there, and I mean, you got them shooting basketball, and everything's riled up. You follow what I'm saying? Then we try and throw them in this little old room and expect them to sit down and be like, yes, sir, we read to learn about Jesus. Huh? They don't know. You with me? So we got to work things in there to get it done. But how many knows they're a very part of the vision that God's laying in our heart? Man, let's just, let's just, let's just, let's go to Matthew chapter four and we'll finish right here. We'll, I don't have to preach them all. I do want to see this. Matthew chapter 4. We're trying to get to some things over there. We, we've not quite made it there yet, but we're going to get, by God's grace and mercy, we're going to get the tutoring and stuff like that accomplished to help with the reading, things like that, with... Um, 19%, 19% of the graduates that graduate high school, graduate illiterate. It's unbelievable. You with me? It just takes time, right? Hey, Catherine, I'm, and I'm just telling you how you, you, you model your house the way you want to. I'm just telling you how I model mine. She told me this. She said, well, the Asher, Asher, you know, one thing about Jake, if you see Jake, you're always running with a book in your hand. Remember that day he's down in the cabin. He's out sitting in the truck, burning up his AR points. Well, what my kids love to have in their hands is a fishing pole. Yesterday, John Mentley complained that his arm's hurting. That's about because, son, you can't, I mean, you throw the fishing pole too much. And so, you just have to get them in the chair at night. You with me? Cut the TV off. Let's burn up two books. I know how to play catch up. You with me? So we get two a night. We start at 6 in the morning, 6.30. Out of the bed, let's get a book in before we go to school. You with me? 
So we've got to take we've got to take the time, and we've got these athletes that are definitely going places. But there's God's gifted some athletes in this community that can go to a good college. It's just gonna need a little help along the way. I don't want to say too much. I'm just I'm just out there just telling you the way we're living it over there. Stan stands up and says, anything that you need, let us know. Gets a call and said, Pastor Moore, didn't say that I need a new pair of cleats, didn't say that I need $20 to go get something to eat after the game. He said, Coach, I just need. No, he said, Pastor Moore, he said, what I really need is a mouthpiece. Goes to a Hibbets and get two under armor mouthpiece. This is how you affect the city. We thought that we were going to change the city with this microphone. No, I'm going to change the church with the microphone. I'm changing you with the microphone. Hello? But you are going to change the city. Ephesians 4, God gives these gifts to equip the church for the work of ministry. This is not ministry. Tomorrow we'll be in the ministry field. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Tomorrow we'll be in the ministry field. When I'm in the middle school, when I'm in the high school, when I'm in the hospital, that is the ministry field. What do you need? The ministry field is when you see that single mom. I just, I don't want to get too, but I told, this is what I told. <laughs> I on the phone, let that out. Hold on, let me hold back. This is the ministry field. You with me? And here's the thing we said, well, what are you doing, man? Are, are we just going to be a church that serves? No, I'm not going to be a church that serves. Listen, it takes, you don't need God to go feed the hungry. Listen to me. You do not need God to go feed the hungry. I could feed everybody in this room at Longhorns this morning and I don't need God to help me. So how are you saying that? Why? Because I got finances. But I tell you what I do need God to do. I do need God to break cancer off the back of a third grade kid at Cook Elementary. I need God for that. I'm not, listen, I'm not just trying to make us a church that serves. Listen, last Sunday proves that. We are all about the, the gifts of the Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. But serving is a way. Jesus got in there. How did he get in there? When he saw the 4,000 that had listened to him teach all day, he said, we are not sending them home hungry. We're about to, and Peter said, Lord, what are we going to do? I mean, look how, look at the crowd. What do you expect us to do? He said, you give them something to eat. When he looked at him, and told him to feed them he released the power in him to accomplish what he said he couldn't do alright so listen to this Matthew chapter 4 verse 18 as he was walking by the shore of Lake Galilee Jesus, Jesus noticed two fishermen who were brothers one was nicknamed Kepha I love the passion man that's old Kepha right there. Y'all know him as Peter. <laughs> Look at Kepha. Called Peter. And the other was Andrew, his brother. Watching as they were casting their nets into the water, Jesus called out to them and said, Come and follow me. Look at this. I will transform you into men who catch people for God. Oh, Lord, transform us into city changers. Immediately they dropped their nets, left everything behind to follow Jesus. Jesus shows up to two fishermen. How did Jesus get how did Jesus get Peter? Look at the way Luke records the story. Jesus shows up on their boat. They're washing their nets cuz they had fished all night. This is how he's about to draft Peter. God don't use fear, he uses goodness. 
I said, God don't use fear. He uses goodness. The preacher that stands up there and cuts the lights off and tells you about three car wreck stories of how they somebody died on the way home. We don't know if they went to heaven or hell. You use that kind of mess, you got to keep them with fear. God, the kingdom don't operate on fear. The kingdom operates on love. Religion operates on fear. But the kingdom of God never operates on fear. God don't scare nobody into the kingdom. Come on, somebody. He loves you into the kingdom. He woos you into the kingdom. He puts his goodness on you and allows you to receive him because he's a good God. That is good preaching. So he shows up in Luke 5. They're washing their nets. Pete, Jesus jumps on the boat. He says, hold on, guys. I'm going to borrow your boat a minute to speak. Jesus gets through using their boat. He's about to give them rent for the boat. He said, cash your nets down. Peter said, Lord, we fished all night. We hit every spot on the GPS. Every point we had, there was no fish. But he said, nevertheless, at your word, we're going to go again. Peter drops the nets down. And the Bible says there was a great multitude of fish. The King James renders it there was 153 large fish that they had to come call of the other boats. There was other boats that they come. When when Peter saw the goodness of God, he bowed down and said, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Jesus reached down, never called him a sinner, not one time picked him back up and said, Peter, you used to catch fish, but now I'm going to transform you to catch men. And you're going to lay nets down into the harvest of nations, and you're going to see this many great fish come to the Lord. And the first time, Peter, you stand up to open your mouth, you're going to preach a message, and 3,000 men are going to be born again. I'm telling you, What are you saying? I believe God wants to interrupt some of our lives. Some of you think that, man, my call is just to go to Cornerstone and help that man by tithing. I'm telling you, God wants to interrupt our lives like he did the businessman. Like he did the man that was living on the farm. Just thinking about going to spend a few days with his wife. No. No. Every day, I'm going to finish with this. Just go ahead and drop that uh, instrumental. I want to finish with this. I want you to see this. This is about maybe a uh, a seven, eight-minute clip. Somewhere along in there. I want you to see this right here. And then I'm 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 going to be heading. We'll be going home. I'm going to be heading with Catherine. Leaving the service. Let us intercede. The wisest person I ever met in my life. A third grade dropout. Wisest and dropout in the same sentence is rather oxymoronic. Like jumbo shrimp. Mm Mm-hmm. Like fun run. Ain't nothing fun about it. Like Microsoft works. Y'all don't hear me. I used to say like country music, but I've lived in Texas so long I, I love country music now. I, back, yeah. I hunt, I fish, I have cowboy boots and cowboy. Y'all, I'm a black neck, redneck. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? No longer oxymoronic for me to say country music. 
And it's not oxymoronic for me to say third grade and dropout. That third grade dropout, the wisest person I ever met in my life who taught me to combine knowledge and wisdom to make an impact was my father, a simple cook. Wisest man I ever met in my life, just a simple cook. Left school in the third grade to help out on the family farm, but just because he left school doesn't mean his education stopped. Mark Twain once said, I've never allowed my schooling to get in the way of my education. My father taught himself how to read, taught himself how to write, decided in the midst of Jim Crowism, as America was breathing the last gasp of the Civil War, my father decided he was gonna stand and be a man. Not a black man, not a brown man, not a white man, but a man. He literally challenged himself to be the best that he could all the days of his life. I have four degrees. My brother is a judge. We're not the smartest ones in our family. It's a third grade dropout daddy. A third grade dropout daddy who was quoting Michelangelo, saying to us, boys, I won't have a problem if you aim high and miss, but I'm gonna have a real issue if you aim low and hit. A country mother quoting Henry Ford, saying if you think you can or if you think you can't, you're right. I learned that from a third grade drop. Simple lessons, lessons like these. Son, you'd rather be an hour early than a minute late. We never knew what time it was at my house because the clocks were always ahead. My mother said for nearly 30 years, my father left the house at 3.45 in the morning. One day she asked him, why daddy? He said, maybe one of my boys will catch me in the act of excellence. I want to share two things with you. Aristotle said, you are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Don't ever forget that. I know you're tough, but always remember to be kind. Always. Don't ever forget that. Never embarrass mama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. If daddy ain't happy, don't nobody care. But you know, I'm trying to tell you. Next lesson. Lesson from a cook over there in the galley. Son, make sure your servant's towel is bigger than your ego. Ego is the anesthesia that deadens the pain of stupidity. Y'all might have a relative in mind you want to send that to. Let me say it again. Ego is the anesthesia that deadens the pain of stupidity. Pride is the burden of a foolish person. John Wooden coached basketball at UCLA for a living, but his calling was to impact people. And with all those national championships, guess what he was found doing in the middle of the week? Going into the cupboard, grabbing a broom, and sweeping his own gym floor. You want to make an impact? Find your broom. Every day of your life, you find your broom. You grow your influence that way. That way you're attracting people so that you can impact them. Final lesson. Son, if you're gonna do a job, do it right. I've always been told how average I can be. Always been criticized about being average. But I wanna tell you something. I stand here before you, before all of these people, not listening to those words, but telling myself every single day to shoot for the stars, to be the best that I can be. Good enough isn't good enough if it can be better, and better isn't good enough if it can be best. Let me close with a very personal story that I think will bring all this into focus. Wisdom will come to you in the unlikeliest of sources, a lot of times through failure. When you hit rock bottom, remember this, while you're struggling, rock bottom can also be a great foundation on which to build and on which to grow. I'm not worried that you'll be successful. 
I'm worried that you won't fail from time to time. Person that gets up off the canvas and keeps growing, that's the person that will continue to grow their influence. Back in the 70s, to help me make this point, let me introduce you to someone. I met the finest woman I'd ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. Back in my day, we'd have called her a brick house. This woman was the finest woman I'd ever seen in my life. There's just one little problem. Back then, ladies didn't like big old linemen. The blind side hadn't come out yet. <laughs> they, they like quarterbacks and running backs. We're at this dance, and I find out her name is Trina Williams from Lompoc, California. And, and we were all dancing, and we're, we're just, just excited. And I decide in the middle of dancing with her that I would ask her for her phone number. She, Trina was the first one... Trina was the only woman in college who gave me her real telephone number. <laughs> the next day, we walked to Baskin and Robbins ice cream parlor. My friends couldn't believe it. This has been 40 years ago, and my friends still can't believe it. We go on a second date, and a third date, and a fourth date. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we drive from Chico to Vallejo so that she could meet my parents. My father meets her, my daddy. My hero, he meets her, pulls me to the side and says, is she psycho? But anyway, <laughs> we go together for a year, two years, three years, four years. By now, Trina's a senior in college. I'm still a freshman, but I'm working some things out. <laughs> I'm so glad I graduated in four terms. Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan. <laughs> so now it's, it's, it's time to propose. So I talk to her girlfriends and, California, it's in the 70s, so it has to be outside. You have to have a candle and you have to have, you know, some chocolate. Listen, I'm from the hood. I had a bottle of Boone's Farm wine. That's what I had. She said yes. That was the key. I married the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen in my life. Y'all ever been to a wedding and even before the wedding starts, you hear this. How in the world? And it was coming from my side of the family. We get married, we have a few children, our lives are great. One day, Trina finds a lump in her left breast. Breast cancer. Six years after that diagnosis, me and my two little boys walked up to mommy's casket. And for two years, my heart didn't beat. If it wasn't for my faith in God, I, I wouldn't be standing here today. If it wasn't for those two little boys, there would have been no reason for which to go on. I was completely lost. That was rock bottom. You know what sustained me? The wisdom of a third grade dropout. The wisdom of a simple cook. We're at the casket. I'd never seen my dad cry. But this time I saw my dad cry. That was his daughter. Trina was his daughter, not his daughter-in-law. And I'm right behind my father about to see her for the last time on this earth. And my father shared three words with me that changed my life right there at the casket. It would be the last lesson he would ever teach me. He said, son, just stand. You keep standing. You keep standing, no matter how rough the sea, you keep standing. And I'm not talking about just water. You keep standing. No matter what you don't give up. And as clearly as I'm talking to you today, these were some of her last words to me. She looked me in the eye and she said, it doesn't matter to me any longer how long I live. 
What matters to me most is how I live. I ask y'all one question, a question that I was asked all my life by a third grade dropout. How you living? How you living? Every day ask yourself that question, how you living? Here's, here's what a cook would suggest you to live this way. That you would not judge, that you would show up early, that you'd be kind, that you'd make sure that that servant's town is huge and used. That if you're going to do something, you do it the right way. That, that, that cook would tell you this, that it's never wrong to do the right thing. That how you do anything is how you do everything. And in that way, you will grow your influence to make an impact. In that way, you will honor all those who have gone before you, who have invested in you. Look in those unlikeliest places for wisdom. Enhance your life every day by seeking that wisdom and asking yourself every night, how am I living? May God richly bless y'all. Thank you for having me. Let's pray. Folks, the most important thing is not the date you enter, not the date you leave, but the dash. We're just called to make an impact. You believe it? You believe that? Raise your hands. I want to pray over you. Lord, we just thank you for your great love, for your mercy, for your goodness, your grace. All of us in this room this morning are a picture of your grace and your mercy. I was an 18-year-old boy that was so jacked up. But I'm so thankful for mercy and grace. I'm so thankful, Lord, for the privilege to stand here before this great people this morning to tell of your goodness, to tell of your awesomeness. Father, I pray that we would begin to see our neighbor and we would begin to love one another and we would begin to care for one another when we're out in this community. God, give us your eyes to see. Give us your eyes to see the hurting. Look at me. I was praying for the kids on Wednesday night. This is in our children's church. Little kid, she's about 11 years old maybe she comes up and what gave him faith there was a kid that had a sore throat he had done told everybody that night his throat was hurt so when it come time to pray I laid hands on him and I watched his eyes get about that big as immediately the pain left his throat and God healed him instantly in that room come on you already get excited about that God, I just said, give me some, give me some faith level up in this room. I'm just going, I'm just trying to increase your faith. Stanton and Matt saw this with their own eyes. One of the things that God did in this community was when my first two years here, we went to an empowered event. Clay and I, and it was me, Clay, and Dusty, with Randy Clark, and for three days we sat under that teaching. And I came back and we went to the school. And what should have been, a, what, a 30-minute uh, chapel, we had teenagers in the floor, never even, you do, just go to different places that didn't understand all that. Power of God. How many members, when, you remember when God healed, when Mackenzie, ain't that her name? Several palsy. We took our shoes off, and I remember when her feet hit the floor, 
If you remember, right, church, if you've been here this long, this before any of the church was redone, that little child with several palsy came in this church with, with, uh, with cowboy boots on her feet. You remember that? And she ran and she jumped off this stage onto the gym floor where God had healed her. So God was giving us some faith in that room for these kids to believe. And I had a little girl to come to me, and this was her prayer request. She wasn't believing for a new car. She wasn't believing for a new outfit, new pair of shoes. She said, would you believe God would give us a house, our house burnt? And then this is what she said. And she said, one more thing. Would you ask God to put food in that house? She said, because we have no food. And she says, I've taken food home from the school to feed my family. So that night we had worked it out. Someone had already knew that, gave three grocery bags. This is in your community, folks. Do I believe in signs and wonders? Yes, and I can preach those messages. I can preach you a message about revival that we would all be running around up in here. I can preach on the fire of God, lay my hands on you, and you will hit the floor. But what I am trying to tell you that all of that's grand and great, but Jesus said, I'll give you power to be my witness to represent me. It was never meant to run around in a church. It was never meant to just lay around in the floor. He says, I, Acts 1 and 8, you shall receive power after that to which the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be a witness, to represent me, to represent me at Walmart, Harvey's, wherever you go. When he said in Matthew 10, go, go preach the gospel. That literally means as you go about your daily lives, preach the gospel. And by, by if all means necessary, we shouldn't have to use a lot of words. It should be with acts of kindness that we see. When you see the single mom in Walmart, or you see a woman with two children trying to get them fed. Come on, somebody at Zaxby's. You pull your card out and buy it. This me, the me this morning on the way to work. I'm on the way to work, on the way to church. I come by and I see this grass high in this yard. I don't own them more, but I know somebody that does. I'm privileged not to have to cut grass anymore. Thank God I've cut enough of it in my entire life. But I called someone and I said, do you think it'll offend them if I send someone to cut their grass? I'm going to pay to have their grass cut. All I'm asking you is to begin to look with your eyes, friend. God's got something bigger for your life. You are not put here on the earth to try to hang on till the rapture happens. God has sent the Holy Ghost to empower you to do something about the things that you see need doing. In your neighborhood, you're planted there because God needs you there. Hello? How are we living? We got to live for something every day. Every day. When you preach my funeral, don't get up here and say how well good he preached the gospel. None of that means anything. It is what did I do with what God gave me? How did I bring increase to it? Raise your hands. I want to pray. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you that we are called with a purpose. We are chosen people in this room to bring about great impact. I pray, Father, we begin to take note how we live our life. And I pray, Father, you would use us to make an impact in, in, uh, upon this community and upon this city. Lord, I thank you for giving us a heart for this city. I thank you for Cook County, Lord. I thank you that I live in the greatest county in this nation, Lord. I thank you for the black and gold hornets that run up and down the field on Friday night. God and the hornets to take that diamond in the spring. I thank you for our softball players. God, all of our kids. Lord, I thank you for this community, Father. I pray that you put a 
deep, deep love in, in for this place into our hearts. I pray that we wouldn't speak negative over this community. We wouldn't speak negative over our schools or over our churches. God, I thank you for the great churches that you have in this community and the great men and women of God that serves in the churches in this community, God. We ask for your kingdom to come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God bless you all, friend. We will see you here on Wednesday night. Hug somebody, love on them. See you Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed our message of the week. Thanks for joining us. Our passion at Cornerstone is our family atmosphere built on deep relationships. We want to connect with you. Please take a moment and download our app and connect with us on social media to stay updated with all things Cornerstone. We pray you have a wonderful week.